Work-life balance is something we all struggle with in our line of work, and especially with the people who listen to this podcast. For those of you who enjoy getting away by spending some time on the lake, casting a line, our podcast sponsor is for you. Cope's Tackle and Rod Shop has been in business since 2015 and carries all of your fishing needs. They're veteran-owned and are proud supporters of Cato and our listeners of the Cato Podcast. Check out their website at tackleandrod.com, enter discount code Cato at checkout, and get 10% off your purchase and get free shipping on anything over $75. Cato is a nonprofit organization that exists to serve law enforcement so they can train their departments and make their communities safer. One of the ways we do this is through support from businesses like Cope Stackle and Rod. So consider supporting businesses that support us. And I would like to take a moment to thank two Cato Gold sponsors for supporting the work that Cato does throughout California. Thank you to NAG Industries and Aardvark Tactical. NAG Industries is a premier provider for a variety of government sales products like Vortex Optics, Garmin, Streamlight, and many other brands. From breaching tools and training to the latest in pickleball gear, there's a good chance NAG Industry carries it. Check them out at nagindustries.com. I would also like to thank Aardvark Tactical, who's been a steadfast supporter for many years. While Aardvark is famous for their signature Project 7 scalable plate carrier system, Sejin Robot, Low-Key Drone, and Kinetic Breaching Tool, they also offer customized integrated solutions to meet a wide variety of supply needs, such as complete crowd control kits, IED detection, less lethal, and many others. To learn more, check out aardvarktactical.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. Dana Vylander, welcome to the Cato podcast. You've been a longtime uh, supporter of Cato, and it's been too long uh, since we had an opportunity to have you on the podcast and kind of talk a little bit about your work. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Good to be here. So for folks that are listening and don't know you, because you've been around Cato doing a variety of stuff uh, throughout the country, can you tell us a little bit about your background and then, uh, you know, a little bit about what VTC uh, has been doing uh, recently? Yeah, so I did uh, 30, almost 32 years with the LA Sheriff's Department, uh, 26 years at the Special Enforcement Bureau. And I started out uh, in January 91. As a, as a canine handler. And uh, it was kind of interesting, actually, when I first got hired, but right before I went to the academy, uh, they hired you and you were working in different positions around the department, kind of free labor that they had. And uh, I heard about this unit called ESD. And when I had joined, initially joined the Air Force, my goal was to be a PJ. That was one of my things I wanted to do. Never made it. So I, I never, I can't claim that and I don't claim it. But I, when I found out about that unit, you know, I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. That's what I wanted to do in the Air Force. So uh, you, you couldn't, you could go right there initially when you got out uh, as a patrol deputy. But the testing process really, it was better if you came from the SWAT side. This was before they made it mandatory that you, that you had to be a SWAT guy before you went over. So that was kind of the long-term goal for me. And then, so I became a canine handler. I did that for four years, loved that job. During that time, and this will play out in some of the training that BTC does, I started going to the uh, marijuana enforcement team training. And in the early 90s, it was being, basically, it was like SEAL Team 7. 
SEAL Team 5 from down in San Diego, they were doing these government contracts, coming out and training law enforcement, things like that. So we're up in the Angeles Force doing training. And I loved it because it kind of fell back into some of my previous training. Um, so, I, But after four years, I jumped over to SED, so the SWAT team. Uh, I was able to work my way up to the number two on the team and as a sniper. And at that point at SCB, I'd been there about eight years. So, you know, weapons instructor, tactics, doing all these different things. Uh, and one more opportunity came up to try out for uh, the emergency services detail, which is the paramedic side. And I took it and I didn't expect to get it. I was a number two on the team. I was, I was happy doing it. I loved doing what I was doing as a SWAT team member. Loved what I was doing, and, and I, a guy more senior than me had taken the test as well, so I, I, I didn't figure I was going to be doing I was coming up on 40 years old, and uh, I did get selected. Uh, so I uh, went over there, uh, did the initial paramedic training and the mountain rescue training, and then the dive public safety diver training. So it's about a year's worth of training, just nonstop, getting into the emergency services detail, because then you also had to do the helicopter training. So for people that don't know, the emergency service detail with the LA Sheriff's Department was started in 1966, um, created because the sheriff was having friction with the volunteer search and rescue teams. So he wanted a full-time team. So they were started in 66 and ended up getting folded into the Special Enforcement Bureau around 1970, 71, something like that. Um, they had started to be get, become paramedics on their own when the paramedic program in Los Angeles County started. Um, and uh, basically the, the unit was Air Rescue 5, which used to be old Sikorsky helicopters at first. And so you would, you would fly in, you're doing mountain rescue, you would do dive, dive operations off the helicopter, you would be supporting the SWAT team, whatever it took. It was like, instead of driving around in a black and white, you had a five-man team flying around on this helicopter to go handle problems uh, and address issues like that. Um, so it was, uh, uh, so you're a SWAT paramedic, you're a helicopter rescue paramedic. We supported the search and rescue teams on the ground when they had long searches. Uh, we're the recovery divers at that time, solely recovery divers. Um, Gosh, what else? Uh, you still had to stay up on your on your entry skills. Uh, we all had uh, initially we had AR-15s, and then we transitioned to the H and K 416s as our rifles. Uh, so when you flew around in the helicopter, which is kind of funny, just like driving around in, a, in an expedition today, you know you had dive gear, SWAT gear, mountain climbing gear, medical gear, et cetera, et cetera. And it was the best of all jobs. I mean, it was, you know, I, I thought I died and gone to heaven when I got That's there. A, that is a lot of training to keep it up is. with all those skill sets. It, it is. And, and it's luckily because of the helicopter, your medical skills are kept up because the trauma that, that uh, they see up in the mountains, uh, it ke keeps you ready for the, the call us when you're, you know, whatever you have to do um, with the teams as far as like uh, traumatic injuries, you know, gunshot wounds and things like that. How long did you do that job? 18 years. Yeah. Until I retired at the end of 2016. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It, it's a dream job. Like I said, it, it was, I could have promoted out, but where, you know, at that time, at that time, when you left SCB, you, you kind of had to go off and go do other things in the department because the department kind of wanted those skill sets to, to be like a, a, a leader to deputies in the field if you promoted out at that point. So, you know, I was, I ended up being uh, the crew chief, what we call the crew chief on the helicopter. So 
you have the pilots who they're talking the aviation stuff and then the crew chief ran the hoist operation in the back also would be talking to county fire SEB, us forest service whoever came up on the radios and requesting air five or coordinating operations like that so and that's kind of in, in the helicopter that that's a pretty crucial job you don't carry all your other gear you would have your SWAT gear with you but like the mountain rescue gear dive gear that was the other two paramedics that were in the helicopter so we flew around with three paramedics yeah you're the you're the element leader the command and control for the ground you know whatever you're doing outside of the aircraft exactly yeah so that's how you develop some of the expertise that led you to vtc and by lead i mean create it <laughs> Yeah, so growing up uh, through going through college, I was a backpacker and recreational climber. So when I switched from K9 to the SWAT team, there wasn't a lot of rope experience there. The guys would do rappelling and that was all they would do was just rappelling. Um, so I was kind of like for my my particular team, I was I was the rope guy. So I would set up the anchors, the team would rappel. But that was all they, that would all they would basically all they would do is just they would go rappel off the fire tower which is right above SEB. And uh, really no other training occurred. I think everybody was still in the mindset of the Princess Gate, you know, Iranian embassy in London, SAS assault where guys are coming off the roofs and going through windows and stuff. That's, I think that's what all SWAT guys picture is their role. Um, transitioning still, over- Still do. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so in a way. And there's a lot of instructors, or there's a few instructors um, out there in the country that are still teaching like, we'll teach window entries balcony entries and things like that but with the technology that's available today uh why would you send guys through this fatal funnel on rope where it's kind of difficult to protect yourself if you don't you know to go through a window to assault an armed suspect there's a there's potentially a time and place for that with a hostage rescue but there's other techniques there's other tools that we have now the electronic tools that are available that, that you have to create diversion, explosive entries, to, to throw robot hole camps. All these tools you can still use while hanging from a rope, but it, you don't get exposed to that danger of actually going through that window, um, which is kind of the worst case scenario. I mean, we train for the worst case scenario, but if we have other tools available to get this guy to come out, you know, we should. Yeah, stack the deck so, in your favor. Uh, Exactly. As always, right? We, we have, we try to get them to come to us at, call, at SWAT callouts, uh, rather than us make entry on them if we can. Um, and where, where my skills actually developed further was uh, on the, on the, the rope side for being a rest, paramedic rescue for search and rescue and out of the helicopter. And you, you, there was an eight week rope school that we went to. It was all mountain based. Uh, you'll remember like my first actual uh, rescue out of a ground vehicle, it was a motorcyclist that went off Angeles Crest Highway. He was 1,200 feet over the side and alive somehow. And, uh, you know, so all those things come into, come into play. They couldn't get the helicopter in because of weather or whatever. But, uh, you know, all that training just kind of kicked in and uh, uh, it, was, it was important. And about um, 2000, 2001, I think it was 2000 when we had the... Uh, Sea King, the Sikorsky Sea Kings, the SH-3H helicopters that we got, I think it was 99. We had two ride-alongs from the pararescue guys that came out and flew with us. And uh, one of them, uh, I'll talk to him today. You know, it's this from 1999 or 2000 when, when he came out and flew with us. And 
what was great was it was it was a it was a win-win relationship for ESD and for the pararescue guys because today ESD and one of the pararescue units have an, a formal MOU and they come out and fly with ESD on the helicopter. So they're doing real hoist rescues. They're going on, I don't know if I can say this, they're going on SWAT calls and, you know, doing whatever dives, whatever ESD is doing. But what they had was resources that like a sheriff's department or police department don't have. And that's the training resource. Right. And so they were, yeah. So they were doing, you know, now we, we jump forward 2003, 2004, Iraq, it's hot and heavy now. Afghanistan has been going for four, three, four years. And the medical training and the other training uh, aspects were really good. And that's, uh, that was my first exposure to live tissue training. And we ended up bringing that to where, uh, if you don't know what live tissue training is, uh, we can talk about it offline or whatever. I don't want to offend any but I think that's, PETA, PETA people. Yeah. If, you, if you know, you know. And it's yeah. a, uh, something no <laughs> one likes to talk about, but is the best it's, training you could ever have absolutely absolutely hands down and we were able to get that for the unit uh for a number of years uh, the other the other side of this was uh their particular training they the pjs had a course called combat technical rescue that they would go to it was a 10-day course it was uh, actually i'm sorry it's 11 days but you work 10 out of 11 days just non-stop military likes to just squeeze everything together uh no weekends let's just get this done and uh, that course was kind of instrumental into guiding some of the things we started to change within the unit. We went to Hurricane Katrina, realized we weren't really ready for that type of a scenario equipment wise. And going to the CTR course, seeing what they were doing and seeing how the PJs operated the equipment they had, we ended up purchasing a whole bunch of equipment and changing some of the things we were doing. And during that time frame, also, yeah, the thought process evolved that, well, wait a minute, we are the tactical rescue specialists on scene at every single SWAT call. So if you have a suspect in an attic that the dog goes and, and, and bites, or he engages the deputies that are crawling through the attic looking for the suspect, that's where he's at, or he's on a roof or something like that, the fire department's not going to be there. Um, and that, that's true with a lot of agencies there the fire department's not going to have law enforcement and an active law enforcement incident so somebody has to go up there and do that and that was that was our job uh, within esd is you're the tactical you, and you had to be ready so we we ended up uh, changing some of our rope equipment go lighter faster you don't need a 300 foot rope when you're in a at a you know a two-story building or a three-story building so we changed our equipment we were always ready then at that point for the vertical rescue so we did a lot of training in that regard. And uh, that was, um, I think, pretty crucial to how we, we, we started to do things. And, and my perspective changed on going lighter and faster. And, it, you know, again, it's based on that PJ model, but it, it had the direct application to our job. So it was just great. Sure. If you can steal from the PJs, who arguably are the best in the world at doing exactly that specific mission, there's a lot to learn from them. Don't tell them I said that. Yeah, yeah, and it. Uh, I would like to say we developed that, but <laughs> there's <laughs> steal it and say we came up with it, right? But no, uh, Some, I'll give credit to like somewhere Tony right now, local rescue who was really uh. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say like Ish Antonio, who was a he's a former PJ at Rocco Rescue, where we started doing that CTR course, and uh, he changed a lot of the guys' minds, even within my unit about the light and fast approach and equipment, you know, and how, how you equip yourselves and things like that. So, 
Are you trying to imply that tactically minded law enforcement officers tend to carry a lot of equipment that they might not need? Um, Except for very specific times. (laughs) 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 Uh, It is possible. It is possible. Snipers are great at having every possible thing in their in their bags that you're like uh when's the last time you used that it's been 10 years but if i need it i got it yeah i had a uh i had a sniper partner i i, I was always amazed that he could carry the backpack and all the stuff he had in it because he had everything you could ever want in that thing it was great because i didn't have to yeah. carry all that stuff but he was just a pack he had that thing dialed there was, there was no amount of camouflage color that we would need that he didn't have in there in some form or fashion yeah, I mean, and, and not, and not, I'm not going to disparage anybody in in, in that uh, skill set, but you know, you look at that average law enforcement sniper engagement, and it's like the LAPD officer in that multi-story building that you see is in a T-shirt. You know, he's not even 50 yards away; he's maybe 30 yards away from the suspect. Yeah. And uh, and that that's that's those were I think that might our longest deployment. Well, warrant service was probably about 200 yards and we were watching that. We didn't engage the suspects or anything like that. But uh, more often, you know, you're in a neighborhood and you're you're sitting in that house across the street. And so your engagement is, what, 30 yards, 40 yards. Which is, mo- yeah, which is most, uh, yeah, most, most engagements for sure. So, so you finish that up. So now you've got your tactical mm-hmm. sniper background with a focus on rope work and I'll just... Uh, am I exaggerating? You're doing thousands of rescues or patient treatment all over the place because you're flying a helicopter all over LA County and probably outside of it for all kinds of crashes, accidents, tactical, lost people. That's a that's a lot of reps. Yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, and, and it keeps you good. It keeps you fresh uh, and, and getting those fresh opinions in there also. And Taking what you what you you see as valuable and, and discarding this the other stuff, so uh, it changes your focus and and it ref- really refines how you're doing your job. I, I believe you know so experience you, is a great teacher. Yeah, yeah, and you, there's not really a substitute for it. So, um, so you take that perspective from the PJs, kind of changed how you do business, and that added to the philosophy that you use now in teaching your track classes and some of your rural ops classes. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the other side, uh, being on the SWAT teams, uh, which I, I, I go back to when we were doing that training with the MET teams, we ended up, one of my partners, Larry Swanson, I ended up doing the training for the mayor. He was a, a MET team narco, narcotics guy, and then he came over to the SWAT team. And uh, so he and I ended up taking over the training because the SEALs, I think, got busy. The military got busy for a few years there. So we ended Just up doing that. <laughs> so we were, we were doing the rural tactics training for the MET teams and stuff like that. So that's, uh, and that was, so like my, I would say my main emphasis or my main things that I really, really enjoyed was the, the medicine, the tactical medicine, the ropes, and then doing the, the, the tactics in the mountains or the hills or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, those, those are the three pieces I took away. But translating that, from the medic fire rescue ems kind of perspective to the tactical application perspective that's why i think it's super unique you do uh some of the courses that you do because you can combine both of those things and in law enforcement traditionally 
we've done a poor job with that. We like to go either or, and like your entire mission was both. And really yeah. it should be all of our missions are both. We should all be proficient enough to rescue ourselves, to, you know, rescue other people, to treat ourselves. And, uh, and I think we're getting better, but go back 10 years and you see a lot of people standing around waiting for the heroes to come to do the medical work. And now at least we're, you know, everyone's carrying tourniquets. Everyone's yeah. getting tree triple C. So we're getting there. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's taken a great leap forward. And it's not just benefiting the officers and treating themselves also, you know, you see the benefits of the public. And, and I think uh, the public demands that. Uh, yeah. I think that the public demands that now. And it's, it's not something that's a, Oh, thanks for trying. It's a, we demand that you know what you're doing. Yeah. Many, many successful instances around the country of officers applying the, their medical training and, and the, particularly the tourniquets and saving lives. And, um, you know, if it, they're, thank goodness that the attitude of waiting for a fire has changed when it comes to being shot and any kind of penetrating trauma. Now, finally, um, it came out, and I don't know if it's, uh, if it's a Cato policy or uh, taught by Cato, I, and I don't know if it came from the NTOA, but I know that now waiting for fire is not an option. Um, and this is what I used to tell my guys, and I would, I would talk about this when I would go out and do talks here and there, was I'm a paramedic. I'm saved, I am trained to save your life. But if you're shot anywhere in the body, there's nothing I can do for you. You need a surgeon. And we have to get you to a surgeon as quickly as possible. And so now you're starting to see law enforcement officers putting somebody, doing that load and go, put them in the back seat. Somebody just tend to them while you're going, going to code three to the hospital because the fire department is so four minutes away. And in that, in that four minutes, they could, they could exsanguinate. They could, they could die from blood loss. So it's, yeah. a, it's a great, it's a great, uh, what's, oh shoot, what's that word? Uh, a change in attitude at the, uh, yeah, a, my, a, a mind shift. Paradigm, in your, uh, paradigm. paradigm, paradigm yeah. shift. Yeah, in paradigm exactly. shift. I read yeah, books. It's paradigm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so VTC does do the tactics because you have that mm -hmm. experience, and you do some NVG movement, which uh, we're gonna, yes. we are uh, going to talk about uh, at the conference uh, with some other folks, just because a lot of folks go buy that equipment, but they don't train it properly or they don't buy all of it and uh, like a lot of things in law enforcement we incrementally build our programs and uh, i would argue that's one that you can't can't do that with um, but at any rate you do some long range stuff some cqb stuff and then uh you do your rope access in your medicine and uh, i wanted you to talk a little bit about your track course and then uh and just why it's a little different than your traditional rappel master course and uh and, and that's a, we just talked about changing the paradigm and law enforcement providing standard of care based upon their training. In my opinion, the track course is doing the same thing. We're, we're shifting the philosophy of law enforcement away from a traditional rappel only. Uh, I know how to do this. I do it twice a year in case I ever have to do the SAS entry to more of uh, how do I solve tactical problems with ropes and, uh, I don't need four duffel bags to do this uh, because most of the time I'm not I'm not that high up, but I'm high enough that uh, that I need help. 
Can you talk a little bit about the origins of that of that class and kind of what it looks like? Because I think, especially people that have training managers that aren't subject matter experts, they're trying to get their folks to courses. They look for that title repel master and they think that's going to solve all their deals. My, my argument and the reason why Cato likes partnering with you is that we need to solve current tactical problems with ropes, not just learn how to repel. Uh, just real briefly going back to the, how I changed my kit when I was working was uh, it was based on some of that training and then just the experiences that I had. So I refined the gear down. I kept refining the gear down because um, the fire department is great. They have half inch ropes, 300 foot half inch rope, probably weighs 60 pounds. You have big steel carabiners. You have big pulleys, big devices, things like that. It's great for the fire department because they drive around in big trucks that can carry all that. When you're wearing your entry gear, the last thing you need is to have a big backpack on your back uh, that weighs 60 pounds of rope gear that who knows if you're going to use it or not, right? So, and luckily being on rescue, I did use my rope gear quite often. And so, and when we did our first, our first beta course in 2018, early 2018, uh, for call it, we called it tactical rope access because we want to teach all of the skills during this class that, that when you walk away on Friday afternoon and you get that call out that night and something comes up, whether it's a, a suspect on a rooftop, it's a, a second or third floor hostage rescue, whatever it is that you will have a set of skills in your bag that you can use. And now we don't tell you what to think. We don't tell you, you have to do this this way. We give you options so that you can improvise as needed with the tools that you have. And, you know, showing you different skills using, we go from showing everything from one inch tubular webbing, how you can do lifts and raises with that, or how you can escape from the building to having a full kit that has, you know, a couple of pulleys, um, carabiners and, and rope grabs and things like that. So we, we want to expose people to as much as we can. And again, it's not what to think, but give you these skills. And then when you're faced with a situation, you can say, I adapt this, this, and I can adapt that to that. It's pretty much what we're, what we're doing in the track class. We go from everywhere from, so the post requirement is uh, to descend a rope and also to ascend a rope. Okay. What, what's the point of ascending a rope? What does that really mean? ascending a rope so what we're teaching is so we we definitely start out with descending and we go right into ascending because now you're using some different tools to ascend and we do it that way so that you're comfortable using these tools by by climbing up the ropes right well from there we go into lowering and raising and now you're you're those tools you were just using for climbing up the rope are now brought into how do you raise somebody up safely and be able to stop the rope so that if something happens and you let go of the rope, that whatever you are raising falls back down to the ground. So I, I normally like rope rescue training, they call that the whistle stop test. We don't do the whistle stop test, but we have to be thinking that who knows where we may be. If, if you're a, uh, a rural team and you're in the mountains at a marijuana grow and you're having to do a haul system for one of your buddies that's, that's, uh, that's injured, and you start taking rounds from a different direction, if you let go of that rope, that could be catastrophic. We have to keep the tactical peace of mind at all times and uh, lowering a casualty. Maybe you don't even have any anchors where you may be. Maybe you're on that rooftop and you don't have an anchor to, to set up as an, uh, so what do you do? You know, So we, we use humans as anchors, uh, mm. human body. 
You know, you, you find something. Find do I get to pick? Do I get sure. to pick which person's my anchor? So, so I just get like the biggest guy up there. Like you're my anchor. I don't want that little guy over there. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, it, it's, we do a lot of problem solving uh, in the training and, and then some of the requirements. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to get into it, but uh, there is no standard for law enforcement tactical training, uh, air, I mean, tactical ropes training. So I don't know if we're going to go down that path and talk about it on this podcast. We could. You know, the, the big thing and one of the major metropolitan teams here in L.A. is they are the negotiators and they are the uh, the rope team for suicidals, jumpers and things like that. So that's that's a valuable skill that, that they have to know. What, and it's a little bit more specialized equipment just because, um, you know, different types of harnesses, harness to put on a victim, what type of ropes are using in case that guy grabs your negotiator and it falls off or whatever it is. So it's, uh, so that, that's a piece of this course also. That's, that's one of the most hands-on things. So here's some considerations. These are the types of material or types of equipment you're gonna need in ropes for that particular scenario. Because everything else is pretty, pretty, pretty standard in how we're, how we're doing that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I never thought of that, but you see every once in a while, every year or two, you'll see a video of somebody going out on a bridge to negotiate with somebody and you're you're holding your breath because you're like this this is a video for a reason it's either going to turn out really good or it's going to turn out really bad and uh it's a suicide by cop without a gun right they can grab you and take you with them yeah yeah and and as a piece of that we so we do the, the what we're doing at the conference is a one day urban escape class and one of the tools I mentioned one inch tubular webbing before and I, I'm bringing it up in this context with the with the jumper is that one of the agencies here in LA had a jumper at the top of the highest bridge over the port and patrol shows up and they used a 15 foot canine leash to safety the officer who went up to negotiate with this guy to try to get him off and a 15 foot canine leash might be okay for the dog but as you're you know we're, we're a couple hundred feet above the water is that what you really want to rely on and and so in that urban escape class, we show all these options. And again, going just back to one inch tubular webbing, it's, it's, it's an amazing tool that you can use in so many different ways. It's something simple. And uh, one of the teams that we train with uh, adapted it where every guy on the team now carries two carabiners and 30 feet of webbing, just because of what you can possibly do with it. And it's not, that's not a big, doesn't take up a lot of space. Not a lot of space and it's inexpensive. And so you took your your bigger track class and then you've created this one day kind of ingress egress how to how to rescue yourself or deal with some of these i don't want to say they're not less complicated but some of these quicker problems that what would be the right description for that yeah so it's well the the, the gist of the class is being able to uh be above the ground floor and get yourself down if you don't have a stairwell or ladder. And again, don't count on the fire department being there in an active tactical situation. But let's say the, the, a fire starts on the first floor and you're on the third floor, or you have a casualty on the third floor, but you have an active gunfight or, you know, you can scenario game this all you want, but you need to get down and you can't go down the stairwell. How are you gonna do that? And uh, one of the, what's really kind of interesting if I can go there real quick is tell a quick story was I was asked by an officer he says hey let me ask you how you would have handled this I go he says uh we had a, a compliant 5150 on the roof of a restaurant 
It's about 12 feet tall, the restaurant, the roof. Pushed a dumpster upside the building. Four of us climb up, handcuff the guy. And now you got to get him off the roof and you're 12 feet up. You say, what would you do? Because he, this is what they did was, I think they somehow lowered him down to the dumpster and then to the ground. He said, they thought they did a great job. And then they saw the body camera footage. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> we could have probably done something a little bit different. Uh, there's right? a little bouncing around on that, that operation. So, so you know, the, the a basic tool, again, the, and I, I don't want to keep harping on the, the one-inch webbing, but you could have created a, one guy, if, he, if all three of you, all four of you had that, one guy create a harness for this guy with the webbing. Everybody else, you can lower him on that webbing safely, securely down to the ground where receiving officers just take the guy and go. And so that was kind of one of the thought processes to, to showing, we don't just show the escape piece of it in this class. We show how to how to lift somebody up, how to, and again, it's an, impro, it's an improvisational piece. You know, you're just faced with a situation. You don't have a big rope kit, but you got a couple of carabiners and you have this webbing. And what, what can you do with it? You can do quite a bit, actually. So we, we're, again, going back to the whole thing, it's not what to think, but you have this, let's be creative and use it safely to do what you need to get done. And we've been on that. Everybody's been on that call, the crazy guy in the carport. It's not really that high, but you're going to go up there and wrestle a naked, crazy, messed out guy on, on top of a carport or how are you going to get him down or... Or uh, we've seen people yeah. shoot them with shoot them with less lethal. I'm like, okay, well now what are we gonna do? Like, uh, like that's great that we did something, but like, how how do we close the deal here? So I think that's a great yeah. scenario. And and everybody listening, if you're in law enforcement or fire or EMS, you've been on this call, and hopefully you Absolutely. came up with something. But I always wanted a tactical scissor lift. This one, a tactical scissor lift. Just, just, just go steal one from the courtyard. <laughs> yeah, just go steal one from the courtyard or, or one of those uh, yeah. traffic signal trucks, you know, that, that park on the yeah. side but can scissor across two lanes of traffic. That's, uh, yeah. I figured out where the keys were in my in my uh, city courtyard just in case I had to rescue a bunch of people out of a bathroom or something. But other yeah. than that, uh, I did not have uh, the skill set or ability to, use ropes for that problem so that's great yeah i was just going to say real quick uh, just to tail on to that what you're saying was we did a course for a military team the, the track class we did the track class for a military team and one of the guys they were over in afghanistan and he had his rope kit with him he left it in the vehicle they were on top of a four-story building when they got pinned down by a machine gun uh, pkm and they were they were pinned down and he was kicking himself in the butt because he had his rope kit but didn't take take it up there and they all carry that one-inch tubular webbing, but nobody had their tubular webbing with them. So if you have this stuff that's lightweight, it's it's out of the way. And again, if, if you can use it in just a variety of ways. So, and that's what we're teaching. I'm thinking right now, because I just retired. So I'm like, I could use 30 just to go out, just go out the back window of my house, depending upon which version of my family member gets home. Is they're angry? I can just go out the back. So Maybe I should practice that. You'll see me at the keto conference with a little leg brace. Like, what'd you do? I, just, I, I tried to learn how to do this on YouTube. It didn't work out. I didn't go to VTC's class. So I just, I just watch YouTube. So yeah, just don't, just don't hook it to your belt, your uh, belt loop on your pants. It's probably not. Yeah, work. yeah. I don't know why these Levi's <laughs> fell apart. I know we talked about your focus on medicine. You you have your rural ops classes that you teach, and you teach uh, your rope classes. And then all of those kind of combine with each other too, because you're going to, 
if you're a unit that's going out during rural stuff, you need to have the medicine under your belt. You need to have the ropes under your belt. Same type of deal. They're, they're all kind of, while they might be considered separate, especially if you're out operating by yourself, you know, yeah. and like you said, you could be in a city and still be by yourself because it's just you guys. No one's going to come into a hot zone and uh, fix that problem for you. Absolutely. And that, that's, that has to be the mindset. Nobody's going to fix that. And as a paramedic on the SWAT team, you know, they say, Hey, we, you're, you're out in front, you know, if we get hit, you know, you're going to come and save us. And, and I had to tell the guys, I may not be able to get to you. Yes. I'm the paramedic. You have to fix yourself first or your partner has to fix yourself or fix you so that then we can get to you and do the evac portion. But um, so we're teaching this, this, all these skill sets and the real tactics what I end up doing, so uh, I, I just, uh, my license just expired. But so what, for the TCCC part in our rural tactics classes, I'm using Army Rangers to support this. Um, all of these guys uh, either have parents that were law enforcement so they can translate the, the military speak to, to law enforcement guys. So uh, it works out really good. But the Ranger medics that I bring in, um, just top of the class. I mean, these guys are super, super experienced and the, the training they give is different. The medical training is different. And I think the, like the class we did in Reading uh, at the end of June, I think those guys by, by Friday, they had probably 20 separate reps of being in an engagement with a suspect and having a casualty. So that, that mindset, when they, if the next time they go on a SWAT call, something bad happens, they've already got that, that, the repetitions going like, okay, this is what we need to do. And they, and they do it. They don't freeze. So that's, that's, a that's, big, that's our goal is to, to provide. Them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big training scar, right? right? We, uh, we spend so much time on the entry, the tactics, the shooting, and then, then we stop. And, yeah. uh, and we see that evolution the last few years, even in patrol firearms training. Okay. Your buddy's down safely holster, go work on this. Like we're trying to, to undo some of that training scars that we've created, but you really need to invest in the reps to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. I think every time a uh, SWAT team trains, uh, doing entry training or whatever it is, they should be practicing the man down drills. Uh, that's what we call it when I was working as man down drills, but they, they should practice that every single time. So if, when it happens, cause you know, it, it, it may happen. It's a definite possibility that you're not caught flat footed. Well, before you go, Folks can learn more at btctraining.com. And uh, my compliments, I, ha I had looked on there. Every once in a while, I look to see where you are, what you're doing, because I know you're all over the world sometimes. Um, but you got the new video up. That was uh, some high production value video in there. Yeah, we're, we're trying to show what we're doing with the teams. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, we, we've been doing a lot of work uh, recently just with, with private teams. So as opposed to having the open courses, that's why we haven't too many, had too many of those. Um, I'm actually going to Tokyo for three weeks or coming up for, for a couple of different conferences I'll be speaking at. So, but in the meantime, you know, if anybody's interested in the course, you know, absolutely reach out and we have instructors here to, to handle that. Yeah. And in the future, we've got a couple of partnerships we're doing with Cato with you. We, we, uh, we won't talk about them yet. We'll wait till they're they're finished. But um, we appreciate uh, having people like you as part of our Cato community. That's what that's why I think Cato special is. It isn't uh, one person that knows everything. It's just a community trying to figure out how to how to serve how to serve better and and uh, you bring that value to us. So um, VTCtraining.com. Thank you for always partnering with us and uh, thanks for being on the show.
and hopefully you got something out of this and uh you need you need to learn more how to solve these problems with with ropes not just rappel absolutely yeah thank you marcus thanks for having me thank you for listening to the cato podcast to become a member of cato check out our website at catonews.org if you have a topic suggestion please send them to podcast at catonews.org if you enjoyed the show please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice